We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I am your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principal. This is episode 291. And today I'm excited to have Kevin Stoller, who's the CEO of K12. And you can find the website at kkay 12 spelled out, T-W-E-L-V.com. And over the past 10 years, Kevin has visited over a thousand schools and spoken with educators and students to learn how student outcomes are impacted by the learning environment. As the CEO of K-12, a company committed to improving learning environments of 10 million students, Kevin wants to share his findings with others involved in education. So, Kevin, welcome to Transformative Principal. I'm excited to talk with you. Thanks, Jethro. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I've been listening to a few of your shows and, and really enjoyed a lot of the content, a lot of things that you're doing, and appreciate what you're doing for the principals out there that like, are, are really trying to always improve. That's what we're about as well. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So you're the CEO of this company, and most CEOs are not so hyper-focused on improving learning environments for students, especially so many students. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the business of serving students? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was really kind of an accident. I've always, I've come from a family of educators, but I was really kind of on, you know, like more of the entrepreneurship type track where... I was working for Fortune 500 companies, but went to a smaller one, knowing that I always wanted to start my own, but I really didn't know what. And then kind of by accident, kind of came in with a business partner whose family member was in the school furniture business. And I was a little hesitant getting into it because uh, I went to a trade show and looked at all the furniture and it looked exactly 
the same. <laughs> Every single thing was exactly the same. And I'm like, why? Like, why? Like, I don't get it. Like every single thing is the same. And it was the same thing that, you know, I said in 20 years ago, as I went through school as well. And what really got me excited was I remember to the day of sitting in my office when one of the manufacturer reps that was coming out with a new piece of furniture showed me something that was so different. And it wasn't just that it was different is it immediately changed the classroom. It made it where it wasn't just, you know, everyone sitting in front rows staring at the front. It made it into a way where you can swivel around. Teachers can use all four walls. They can immediately go from group work into discussion mode and then separate into testing. And it was amazing to me how one piece of furniture really could change that learning environment. And then, you know, it was early. So we've really been watching the research that's come out from that. And that's really kind of the passion that, that came into it. And we completely shifted the company more towards being a resource to being the ones that are out talking about creating better learning environments and how that environment can impact the student outcomes. Yeah. And those of us who are, you know, in the schools each day can really, really see that. What are some of the stories that you've seen where a learning environment has made a a big impact? And and not just like, you know, we we can do things a little bit differently, but where it actually impacts the learning that's going on in the classroom. Absolutely. There, there's a lot of them. Let me pinpoint a couple of things here and try to keep them focused more towards the leadership of, of what it does. And, and I'll kind of start at that high level is that I love talking about leadership within education. I feel like it, it's something that is, is not emphasized enough of how much that a leader that comes in or is already established in there has an impact on the teachers, the students, the parents, and the entire community. And talk about is a lot of times if you're implementing change, it is really difficult to do it without changing the environment. If you really think about that, if you're having a staff meeting and talking about teachers, how you want to have more collaboration and engagement, and then they immediately go back to the classroom that they've been in for 10, 15, or 20 years, and it's exactly the same, it's very difficult to implement that change. So some of the examples that I've seen is, is um, and we always just talk about starting small, learning from it, and then making the, the necessary adjustments. But there is a school that uh, the principal knew they wanted to do this, and they brought in four, lead, four of their teachers. One of them was really a big advocate. This teacher was actually talking to the principal about it first, saying, I, like, I, can't do, like, I can't do what I want in my classroom because this furniture is just like preventing me from doing it. It's too difficult to move it around. And, you know, so I'm trying to create different things. So he said, well, I want to help you. And he pulled in three other teachers. And it's one of the best examples of one teacher was a huge advocate for it, wanted it. Two teachers were said, yeah, I'll try it. And one teacher just said like, no, like I'm, I'm fine with what we have here. And what they did and, and we go through this process and whether it's with us or in the book that, that we wrote to try to help people to do this on them, on their own. And they go through the process of trying to first define what is it that we're trying to accomplish? Because I always say that it, it's not about the furniture. It is not at all about the furniture. <laughs> it is great. all about the mindset. And you can do this without having to buy new furniture. It's just trying to define what is it that we're trying to do. And every school, every every district already already knows. They've already defined what their mission is and what their vision is. So really, the space should make sure that it matches that. 
as well. So if you say we're a project-based learning environment, then you you walk through and it should look like that. It, it should look like, you know, set up for groups and set up it to be able to go into different stations, be able to work on different things collaboratively. And, uh, and so going back to kind of the story is they kind of defined that what they wanted to do is they wanted to kind of have more of emphasis on kind of those four C's, the 21st century learning. And they recognized that kind of the, the bulky desks and chairs that were connected did not, did not allow them to do that. So we, we provided furniture that had easier to move, ways to do groupings much easier. One classroom, we put everything on wheels and the chairs swiveled in 360 degrees and they had a work surface on them and storage underneath with the idea that they can immediately take everything with them and rearrange. And that was the teacher that was the one that said, I wanted to change this up. Two of the other teachers said, no, we don't want that much movement. And they said, we want to have more, be able to just do groupings quicker. Like if we want to be able to have groups of four that they can work together, they can, they can make eye contact with each other. But if we did need to move it at their lighter weight, so we could rearrange it. But the reality was when we came back four months later, because this is one thing that we always want to learn from is go back and say like, okay, how was it utilized? What did you like? What did you not like? And of those four teachers, the one that wanted the innovation, loved it, came up with with a bunch of like shortcuts. They said there was a lot of movement at first. So they kind of had to establish some, some rules within the classroom and say that there's going to be like a home base. And when there was a lot of chaos and she needed to kind of get the group back together, she would just say, everyone go back to home base. And everyone kind of knew where it was, which was like a U-shaped discussion. The other, the kind of the next grouping of the next two teachers, they liked their groupings of four. They never moved it. But they said they it allowed them to give them more collaboration and be able to for more group work. The fourth teacher did not have like she was given the ones that had all the movement that that first teacher had, and she set them up in groupings of four and did not allow the students to move them at all. And you know after that, and you know and and I always talk about it. It's got to be the right fit. It's got to start from the leadership and it's got to start with the definition of what the mission and the vision is beforehand. And, you know, so after that meeting, we sat down with the principal and the vice principal and said, well, what do you want to do with this fourth teacher? One, the, the furniture is kind of being wasted. It's kind of up to you. Do you want to, you know, what's your decision from this point? Do you want to kind of force the teacher to break out of, break out of kind of the habits things or you want to allow it and we want to just switch out the furniture and bring this out into someone new that's into a different room and do that. And and that's where we always talk about it. It's really kind of the leadership that does that. So the teacher that wanted it, kind of answering your your question and a long answer here, is that it immediately changed everything for her. She was able to have all this engagement and you can see it. You walked into your room and you can see it and you can feel it. The buzz that came from that room was so different that came from any, any other room in that school where you can, you can just feel the excitement and the engagement of the students. There was never anyone that was kind of sitting back and letting education come to them. They had so much ownership of what they can learn. And it was really cool to see that. And over the years, because this is, this is an example that we did about five years ago, it's been really fascinating to see the entire school and the entire district being impacted by that one teacher that said, I can't do what I want to do. 
the way I have it right now. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned in there that it's, it's not about the furniture and I'm sure that that teacher's classroom was buzzing with active learning even before the furniture. But what I find amazing is that when you, when you have furniture that better meets your needs, then you, you have this freedom to be able to do what you need to do all the time. So my first year teaching, I had, uh, I just had regular desks with a chair attached to the desk and, you know, we made it work, but it was so difficult to do what we needed to do that a lot of times I was like, well, I really want to do this kind of group work stuff or have these guys collaborate, but it's, it's just much more challenging. And then my second and third year, I had tables and, and it really did make a big difference in that it was easier to move in those groups than, than it had been my, my first year. And so, you know, it's, it's not about the furniture because you can still do those things. It just takes more energy. But I think that that piece of removing the friction is what is really important is that if you can do the work in a way that is seamless and easier, then that is really, really powerful. And, and that matters a lot because the, the less friction you have, the better. And so being able to have that different opportunity is, is important. So you go into these classrooms and you, you give this advice and furniture is, is a big deal because it's expensive and, and difficult to find money for all the time. You know, in every school I've been in, except for the brand new school that I worked in, you know, we've, we've always had furniture that's 30 or 40 years old. And, you know, it's, it's just not something that people budget for on a regular basis and redesigning a whole classroom is an expensive endeavor. How do you make it practical for schools to to add in different types of furniture and and what do you do to to help make that a little bit easier for them? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's all I mean, you, you hit it. The budgets and the funding is always a big issue, no matter where you are in the country about that. So it, it's always easier doing it when it is new construction. And even when that happens, we we start talking to them two or three years before and be like, this is your one chance. I mean, realistically, you, it's gonna be 20 or 30 years. So really start testing now and trying to find out because because it's so hard to get that funding that you don't want to waste it. So we're always big advocates of starting small, starting in one space. Um, from the leadership side of things, we always talk about too is, is this is really what should be driving your culture. So if, if you're coming in new or if you're really trying to drive any type of change within the culture or within the initiatives that are going on within your school, space can have a, such a big impact on that. And it does not have to cost that much. I'm, you know, like there are some things that are expensive and we're totally aware of that, but, but starting small and starting in things like what could have the most impact right away. So we usually talk more about the shared spaces if you have very limited budget and the biggest thing too, you know, which is like counterintuitive, but usually uh, like probably one of our biggest takeaways is that there is too much stuff in classrooms yes. right now <laughs> that, that you're actually better off taking things out than putting new things in. Yeah. I'm really, I'm glad you said that Kevin, because that is totally true that if you take things out, that is amazing how much space that frees up, especially if the school is old and there's just 
a ton of stuff in there and it just builds I, up. I mean, it's like a house, yeah. if you live in a house for 10 years, there's always a lot more in there than when you first move in. Yeah. So, uh, starting with shared spaces, I think is really powerful. And then taking stuff out is, is a good thing that, that you can do with, with very little money. One of the other, uh, things that we did when I was principal of Kodiak middle school is we wanted to give more options. And so our goal was to create four different seating options in each classroom so that students yeah. could at least start by having a choice. And this goes back to what you're saying about having that vision drive uh, the change that you do make. And so we wanted four different options. So we had a little wobbly stool. We had a regular desk. We had a treadmill bike that we bought for each classroom. And then we had a standing desk that we bought for each classroom. And so it wasn't like everybody had to adjust rapidly. And what was cool that we saw, Kevin, was that once we bought the wobbly stools, we found that there were certain people who were like, oh man, I need more of these. And they would borrow them from their other teachers who weren't really using them. And then we were able to say, okay, that teacher is doing well with the wobbly stools. We can get more wobbly stools for that teacher. Or this teacher is doing great with stand-up desk. We can get more. In fact, one teacher took her old desk home to her husband and said, I need you to make me about five of these standing desks. And yeah. so he welded new legs onto them, which, you know, probably is not what you're supposed to do, but it worked and it was, it turned out to be a pretty good thing for her classroom because she could handle that kind of change. Yeah. And and what you're explaining there of kind of those different options is sometimes you'll hear it called flex seating. That kind of uh -huh. seems to be like the buzz term right now. I don't necessarily like that term. We We call it student choice. And that may not be the right term either, because if the teachers are actually the ones that are choosing who gets to sit where. Right. Um, but really just being able to have those multiple options. And kind of one story that I always that I always share is that, you know, we've sat in meetings with the administration before. And there was, you know, and I just remember it so vividly. We're sitting in a conference room and one of the administrators is talking about, he's like, well, this movement is like, well, maybe we can do it like one or two you know, like one or two um, things, whether, and we were talking about standing desk and we were talking about something like a wobble stool or something that swiveled. And, and he's telling, he's like, he's like, yeah, like maybe for the really severe ADHD kids, it'd be good to have one or two options per classroom. He goes, but I don't think we need it for everyone. And as he's saying this, he is swiveling in his yep. chair in this conference room <laughs> back and forth as a whole point. But his eyes are like directly on talking, which is what we always talk about. That's what happens with these students is that when you have movement, it, it gets those physical things out, but it actually allows them to concentrate more. But from that story, we, you know, we come back and it's, yeah, there's some that are more severe ADHD, but almost everyone wants some movement at some point. And being able to to think that everyone learns best by just sitting still is, you know, that's what what we want to kind of make sure that we're breaking through. And and that that whole philosophy is kind of thrown out the window because the research shows that not everyone learns the same way every single time. And even one individual, even if the ADHD or somebody who does do really well um, learning kind of on on their own, that throughout the day and throughout, you know, throughout time there it shifts they may have a dominant type of learning style but they still want to have different options for different types of activities that help them retain and, and engage in into their studies more yeah that and and that's something that you just can't overlook the value of 
um, anything that, that helps a kid, you know, be focused and pay more attention and care more about the work that they're doing is important. And, you know, if you're not comfortable, then it's really hard to learn. And that's a simple, a simple idea, but very complex and challenging to, to really implement and do something about. Now, you mentioned before we recorded that you wrote a book about classroom design and that you wanted to uh, to give that away to listeners. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a book that we wrote, and it was really because we were seeing the same thing happening everywhere. And it is a couple of years old, so the, so some of it, it, like, there's more updates to it. But from when we wrote it, the whole idea was that we're working with schools around the country and literally it's the same conversation over and over again. Uh-huh. So we said, you know what, Let, let's kind of let everyone learn from from what's worked and what hasn't worked from these schools that have done it. So we put together a lot of case studies, but we also just kind of looked through the process and said, this is a practical guide. This is for somebody, whether it's whether it's a principal, an administrator, a teacher, a student, a parent. Whoever says like recognizes that this is something that's important, we wanted to provide kind of the steps that all these other schools had already gone through to to do that. And and it really is kind of a we always just refer to it as it's a practical guide to help do this because every school, every classroom is going to look different. There's no one school that's doing it 100 percent correctly, and I don't know if anyone will. It's an ongoing process. So the book is called Creating Better Learning Environments and. We named it that for very specific reasons and that creating its action to it, that this is never something that's, it's never something that's done better is kind of along the same things that we're not trying to find the best one. We're trying to just make gradual changes and try to figure out how to improve it. And then the the idea of the learning environments that this is not just limited to a classroom. This is really looking at all those spaces within the school and within the grounds of the school. Um, you know, there's a lot can be learned by taking the classroom outside or working with small groups outside, utilizing hallways, um, utilizing the cafeteria when when uh, you know it's not during meal time. So that that's really kind of the emphasis of it, and kind of just all comes back to our core and what our passion is: is that we want to improve student learning outcomes. So we said, well, let's provide a tool. And honestly, we just, we give it away. So, so it is for sale, but it's mainly meant for our team to give away to others. So I would love to offer it up to your audience as well. If you go to k12.com, which is spelled K-A-Y-T-W-E-L-V-E.com and then do slash Jethro and you'll be able to download a copy of that book too. And And we really hope it's a good resource for you if you decide that. This is initiative that that you want to take on. Yeah, and a, a link to that will be in the show notes, so you can get those at transformativeprinciple.org or just tap on the album art um, here in your uh, podcast player. You know, one of the things that uh, that you mentioned that we didn't talk a ton about is that idea of starting with shared spaces, and I just want to share quickly how in my uh, three schools that I've been a principal at, we have done. We have done just that and made some drastic changes to our uh, library and to the cafeteria so that they become learning spaces as well. And, you know, we did a big redo of a library in one school and another school. We just took out a couple walls and just made it open. And, you know, by by doing that kind of 
stuff that's that really allows you to uh look at the space differently and what we saw at at Tananaw was a lot of people using the library for a lot of different things in different ways and it turned into this additional extension of the teachers classrooms that was just really really powerful and it was very cool to see how how it changed and how our faculty meetings changed and professional development changed when we were able to do some of those things and it was just really remarkable to see to see those kinds of things and so if you I'm saying that because if you look at your school right now and you can find a way to make something better then go ahead and do it and and make that attempt because it really does um allow teachers the freedom to make some different choices about what they're doing. Do you have anything to add to that, Kevin? Yeah, I 100% agree. And I, and I think there's a lot of time there's a hesitancy to do it and get a lot of times kind of that money and that budget comes up. But really like I'm it can really be done literally free or for very little money of just by by taking that focus and say what if we were going to do this differently, how would we do it? And, you know, start taking things out and then saying, like, hey, do we need to add anything in? And what do we need to do? Because that that's where, where it is. I think a lot of times the first reaction is we don't have the money to do that. But once you start this process, you, you start realizing that it's not all about money. Yes, if you, there's things made specifically for that that cost money. But there there's a lot of times that, that those things can make a big impact without even having to spend the money. And And the last thing I would say is, as the leadership, it's such a big thing that can influence the culture. And by giving kind of opening up this process really can get one of your biggest things, getting your teachers engaged, getting them on board. And I don't want to act like everyone's going to, there's still, there's going to be some that will fight it. And, um, you know, and that's probably the last thing you want to do is create, create more tension within there. But if you are looking to drive culture change, there's to me, whether it's, you know, and we see it in the business world too, that anytime like a new leadership comes in or, you know, a new leadership within government, one of the first thing they do is they rearrange and they look at what that, what that space is like, because that's really what drives that culture. Yeah, for sure. So the last question that I asked Kevin is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? Uh, well, I, I don't, I think one to, I'm not a very good comparison on that. I, I learned from from the principals way more than than anyone can learn from me. But I don't know. I guess taking that thought process is, is what I do as leader of a company is I know that I need support. And I'm sure it's out there. And I know that I've found some things in there. But if you can find a network, I think podcasts like this are a great source to do that but somewhere where you can be talking to other people that are in the same one. I'm in a group where we literally meet, we meet once a month and we stay in, in, in connections throughout the month, but we meet and we talk about what we call the top five and the bottom 5% of our lives. The stuff that you typically can't be talking about with coworkers. You can't talk to your employees or, you know, your bosses about it. Sometimes you can't talk about it with your spouses on there and being able to relate to that and having kind of that outlet to be able to share those experiences with others and, and hear other people's experiences. To me, that's, that's been one of the biggest benefits for me 
and being able to do that, it's, it's lonely sometimes when, you know, you don't, you don't have those outlets. So I would say, you know, just seeking out that network, whether it's an established one or just kind of informally starting one. Um, but podcasts like this are, are a great source. I, I absolutely agree. And I host masterminds for principles. And so if you're listening to this and oh, that resonated with you, then uh, I'd like you to join us transformative principle.org slash mastermind. And that would be great. That's great to hear. Yeah. I'm glad to hear you're doing that. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun and we learn a lot. So Kevin, thank you so much for being part of transformative principle and taking the time. Again, the website is K 12 K a Y dash the word 12 spelled out dot com k12 dot com and thank you so much for being part of transformative principle today thank you jethro i appreciate what you're doing do you want to simplify your school's technology save teachers time improve students performance on state assessments you can do it all but don't waste another minute Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.